Hello, yes, Anders. Before we begin this episode, I wanted to give a brief content warning. In this episode, Trelly and I interviewed Joe and Trace of the podcast Horror Queers, and we discussed some of the quote-unquote forbidden films that had a major influence on us growing up. We also talk about horror films in general. As a result, we inevitably discuss some pretty heavy topics from those films, like violence, assault, and trauma. I just wanted to give you all a heads up before you tune in. So thank you so much, and enjoy the episode. Hello, Ari. Don't be afraid. Who is that? Hello? You will notice that you are currently handcuffed to this subterranean bathroom sink. Oh, God. Oh, God. Look, look around you. <laughs> look at your life. Look, look around me. I'm in a bathroom. I can see I'm in a bathroom. It's very decrepit, old, grimy, moldy. There's three bodies already in You're here. You're not just in any bathroom. Look more closely. See the... Lack of urinals? The lavender-scented hand soap? Well, yeah, I guess so. You find yourself in a women's restroom. No. No. Impossible. And I just want to let you know it's completely okay for you to be in here. What? Like, you don't have to, but, but it's fine. It doesn't hurt anybody. You mean I can pee on a toilet and it's a toilet? Look down. Uh, You're sitting on a toilet right now. But I was in the bathtub. <laughs> How did you do that? You demon. <laughs> I have my ways. I am in complete control of what you see and what you feel. Who knows what is real and what is not? Are you saying that I can piss on the toilet because a toilet is a toilet and not because it's in a designated space? Uh, listen, I brought you here because your ebullient personality has always uh, struck me as as though there is a, a certain f soft and feminine quality to your identity that has been trying to get out. And so I figured I'd bring you here. And I'm just so tired of the fucking gatekeeping. Because clearly the bit here is it's like gender affirming saw traps. So why am I, but why am I chained to the bathtub still? Why is there a, a, a chain here? Like what does that have to do with this? Look, look more closely at the chain. It's a pink and blue chains. <laughs> yes, interlocked. Yes, 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 it's a pink and blue chain. Listen, listen, okay, the chain thing. No, no, here's what the chain thing is. <laughs> I've taken your clothing and I've stitched together a, a, a chain out of the masculine clothing that you forced yourself to wear as sort of a, a metaphor for the chains that, that you use to hold yourself down. But these chains are just cloth. You can rip free of them. I wish you told me that earlier. I've already sawed my arm off. Oh, no. damn! I gotta uh, cauterize, uh, cauterize the wound on this hot pipe. Uh, uh, uh. That wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to- I gotta to crawl out of this bathtub. Oh, I gotta crawl across this bathroom and get out. Oh my god, the door's locked. I have to use my own tooth to pick the lock. No, don't ah. do that. No, the ah. lock. I got my tooth out. Now I'm picking the lock. God damn you, you bastard. That lock, that lock actually, the combination would, would have just opened if you had just typed in your preferred pronouns. I... You just had to type in they slash e, and the lock would have opened up. God damn. 
The door is so thinly open, I'm gonna have to break my bones to fit through. Alright, so clearly, my attempt to rebrand has been a bit of a failure. <laughs> I really wanted to, you know, help people realize their trans. You want them to, you want them to- cap at a time. You want them to see their true selves, therefore you are the one who helps them to saw? Yes! <laughs> Saw sex affirming wonderlands. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and now, of course, the fact that you've uh, mutilated yourself beyond recognition means that uh, I have to through a series of extremely uh, retcon flashbacks insert you into all of the sequels to this film. It turns they, out I set like 18 of the traps myself. Yeah, yeah, you've been there for, for every movie, it turns out. Wow. Saw's amazing. Hello and welcome, welcome back. Um, that's optimistic uh, that you've listened to an episode before, but yeah, welcome back. Or if it's your first time, I actually hey. hope it's your first time because statistically speaking, the more people that it's their first time, the more we're growing. <laughs> right? Yeah. So if it's thank all welcome you for... back, we'll never grow. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being here. This is yes, androgyny. This is, um, of course, the podcast where two queer improvisers and best friends since middle school uh, sit down together, drink some tea, talk about gender, talk about the intersection of identity and the arts, all through the lens of improv comedy. My name is Charlie. I use she, they pronouns. Um, they for the gays, but she for me. And uh, hmm. <laughs> with me, as always, is uh, my my brother, my sister, my Enbian arms. Yes, hello, it is me, Ari. You all know me, you all fear me. My pronouns are he, they. And do you have a fun mnemonic for how we should remember your pronouns? Um, when I was growing up, I was told by some people in my life that if I was LGBT, I would be a heathen. It turns out I was actually a heathen. Okay. There you go. That's pretty that's, good. That's what I got. <laughs> I was thinking he for free, but they you have to pay. <laughs> but I don't know what that would mean. I, I, I tried. I tried that. I ended up losing millions. It didn't work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> what money did you lose? Did you did you what, did, what were you in investing crypto. in? I invested in crypto. It was a mistake. Uh, that's a separate problem. But yeah, anyway, uh, we we don't want to we don't want to uh, dilly dally too much today. Um, I <laughs> I really want to just bring our guests on. They are the hosts of the Horror Queers podcast with Bloody Disgusting. Um, this is uh, a wonderful show that I might or might not have been kind of obsessively binging for the last couple weeks. 
and just two of the most uh, enjoyable voices to listen to in the audio landscape, I would say. So please welcome Joe Lipset and Trace Thurman. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for that kind introduction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, uh, listen, I meant it. I am uh, nothing if not genuine across the board and uh, very, very happy to have guests on who I'm genuinely so excited to talk to. Something that I really, really, really love about your movie podcast in particular is that you are clearly people who just fucking love these movies that you talk about. Or if you don't love them, you love the fact that you don't love them and you get to talk about them. And it's just like the fun of listening to you talk about movies. It reminds me of how I feel watching movies, particularly horror movies. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And obviously there's something, you know, to be said about just like queer people love horror movies. Like there's a reason that these cult classics exist and that usually when something is a cult classic, that just sort of means it was too weird for the mainstream, but it found a <laughs> queer fan base. Right. Um, and and so I, th- that kind of got me thinking a lot about just like the act of enjoying media mm-hmm. that is you know that is weird that is off the beaten path that is you know in extreme cases labeled as you know heretic or <laughs> dangerous uh, <laughs> dangerous degenerative horror often deals with trauma you know a lot of cult classics have these like chosen family themes like there are reasons that queer people gravitate toward them but i also think there's just something to be said for like the act of rebellion that just comes with watching stuff or reading stuff, (laughs) consuming stuff that you just are like, you're not supposed to Um, stuff. Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's what I was hoping to talk to you both about today is, you know, we can, we can certainly talk about horror, but I, you know, you don't have to be pigeonholed. You know, I, I believe you probably have seen movies that aren't horror at some point in your lives. I want to start with just like, Asking the two of you and and Ari, you as well, obviously, guess I'll chime in. Um, what are you know? What's a good example of a piece of media or a movie that you know that you watched at a time where maybe you weren't supposed to see it? What did you, so to speak, hide under your blanket with a flashlight? And uh, I just like what was the experience of? Uh, finding and consuming whatever that piece of media happened to be. No, I mean, because uh, again, w- with the prompt for this, I was like, okay, weird movies. I was trying to figure out, how do I classify weird? And I kind of went off of what my parents would have said, because there were plenty of times when I was show- watching things or showing my parents things, and they were like, this is weird, which was their, co- it's like when um, like a white person eats ethnic food, and they're like, mm, that's different, um, like, <laughs> that kind of a thing. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, like that. Every so, time I ever have any of my Iranian food with my white friends, they're always like, wow, this. I had a uh, friend say my Iranian food tasted like Italian and I died of shame. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm pretty just, sure I did say something kind of insensitive to you about your Gorma Sabsi, like when we were much younger. 
I remember um, you called it slimy and weird. You were like, it's a okay, little weird. Okay, so really insensitive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so almost everyone, you were like, it was a sixth grade. A sixth grade I committed a hate crime against you. Oh, is this the food of your people? Hmm, weird. <laughs> I'm okay. so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, continue. But yeah. No, but yeah. Um, okay, so I'll go for one. Um, so one of mine was actually, and I don't know if y'all have heard of this, it might be kind of a too small of a film, but it's um, Reefer Madness, the movie musical. I have heard the title. Uh-huh. I have never seen the movie. So this is, I mean, again, I discovered this like probably in like late middle school, early high school. Uh, it is an R-rated musical starring like Nev Campbell, Kristen Bell, Anna Gasteyer, Steven Weber. Uh, and wow, it is a, gay. it's super gay. It is a remake of a 1930s propaganda film called Reefer Madness that basically told people, hey, if you smoke reefer, you're going to become a murderer and a cannibal and a sex maniac. <laughs> and so there's these guys made an off-Broadway musical adapting this movie, and then Showtime in 2004 made a movie musical version of this musical. Oh my god. And it is bananas. Uh, we covered it on our podcast because there's literally a scene that involves cannibalism. And I was like, it counts. It's horror. It counts as horror. It's horrific. <laughs> but um, no, I just remember, I remember I, I, I bought the DVD because I, we didn't have Showtime growing up. And the DVD is brown and smells like chocolate brownies because of, there's a whole pop brownie song, obviously. Uh, and I remember there's a song called The Orgy in which the lead character smokes weed and a big orgy happens. And it's all these people that are naked, but they're wearing like cloth, uh, skin colored leotards and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And my mom walks in and she's just like, what are you watching? <laughs> and I, I'm not allowed to watch R-rated movies. Technically, this is rated R. Um, and I, but it's just, uh, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so fun. And it's so weird. But that's just that it's very, very, very queer. And I was a theater kid growing up. I love musical theater. And it was just something where I was like, this is outside of my parents thinking it's weird. This just doesn't seem like something that people would make anytime. At any time. Much less put oh, it yeah. in theaters or whatever, which you didn't go to theaters. But it's just cuckoo bananas bonkers. And it's silly. And it's a parody. But it's also really smart and witty. But it just feels so unabashedly queer and strange that that was my first pick for this. <laughs> did did you at the time uh, were you uh, out and and how aware were you of the fact that this was appealing to you as a queer piece of media versus just like oh this a weird is movie I found yeah. for- so this would have been right when I had come out um, which I think it maybe is part of the reason why I I, I latched onto it so much um, you know I grew up in the suburbs of Houston Texas pretty conservative area. Nothing like terrible, terrible, um, given like, you know, where I could have been. But, uh, you know, I came out when I was 16 and my parents didn't really, we had two years where we weren't really on good terms. And so I retreated into my uh, high school life and in theater, that was my chosen family. You know, none of my theater classmates, my co, my co peers or whatever the fuck, uh, judged me. It was like an immediate welcome reception thing. And so I think I then kind of dove more into musical theater because of that. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that like it was technically a movie, but it was a piece of musical theater mm-hmm. that a- appealed to you. And oftentimes, you know, if there's a like a musical like this going on live somewhere, it's a lot harder to get away with like going to see it. And like I bought the ticket, guys, yeah. I'm going to go watch this movie. Whereas this was 
that experience, but in your home, I think is really cool. It's like a combination of worlds. Very much so. And, you know, it, it did go to Broadway. It was an off-Broadway show. So it also felt kind of like it wasn't, like, good enough <laughs> to, be, to be with the big boys. But, no, I mean, like, <laughs> and, and, and again, it's just like it, it felt almost like an outcast musical, except for the people who knew it. Like, this is right. a cult musical, which, again... Yeah. I don't feel like you hear about cult musicals very often because the yeah. world of musical theater is almost cultish in and of itself. Yeah, and it's just like the idea of like, I know that Beetlejuice recently kind of went through this whole thing where it was made and the kind of general critical view of it was not like, very man. good. And then, <laughs> and then it yeah. found this younger audience who just completely latched onto it and it changed, it completely changed the... I guess the way it was looked at. Not only yeah, like I'd Chris, say the like Heather's kind of, musical oh, kind yeah. of went through a similar yeah, trajectory. Right. But even like the I, musicals I, where they don't catch on, but then they develop like a very small, intimate following, oh, and yeah. everybody's like, like that Carrie musical, not very good. Right. But then you'll find a bunch of people who'll be like, let me sing you the song from Carrie. <laughs> but, so, no, but, oh, no. but when they revived, <laughs> I, I want to say they revived, or maybe it's because Riverdale did the musical like, episode so. of that. But like, yeah. I've had some, I've never seen the Carrie musical. It's, I would love to, but I've had some people that are like, no, it's legitimately good. And so I'm just like, well, what mm. is it? <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> Well, I mean, Trace and I are big fans of, like, the Bring It On musical. Oh, yeah. Which, again, though, like, when you're talking about Lin-Manuel Miranda, that never comes up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard it once. <laughs> he's he's scrub- Yeah, he's scrubbed the record of that one. Yeah. He's like, hi, um, I'm an award winner. I don't need to talk about the cheerleading musical I did to pay the rent. And the rest of us are like, tell us about the musical. The first thing I ever wrote, I sat down in my chair right after high school and just wrote In the Heights, and that was it. There was nothing. Yeah. Was it no other pieces of yeah. ever made. It was the first thing I ever did. And didn't he do Bring It On after In the Heights? Did he really? Yeah. Oh, I assumed it was before. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I gave us Hamilton, which I guess is what it is. Uh, there is something to me that I've just noticed in like my own life and my and the queer circles that I'm in, mm-hmm. where there is a queer thing of we're gonna defend this obviously garbage piece oh, of media yes. to the death. My, 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 incredible. My, yeah. my, my example of that is just how unironically in love with the fucking saw franchise i am oh, okay yes. but like we will defend least, that to our dying breath at least three of those are like legitimately good movies one two maybe three and six are like great movies <laughs> well and and the thing i love about saw is that like yes the movie the early movies are better movies but what i love about the about like f- four and four, five yeah, in particular yeah, four and five is when it goes it yeah goes is bonkers. is the way that they just commit to this fucking nonsense soap opera as though it is the most serious mm-hmm. goddamn oh, drama yeah. you've ever seen in your life and like we're gonna have a twist where this movie is actually happening concurrent oh to God. this movie i still love it. it i still fucking love it and those movies were event films. You know, again, if yeah, it's Halloween, it must be Saw. So mm-hmm. every Halloween, every horror fan, I'm sorry, every Saw horror fan, like, had an outstanding engagement to go mm-hmm. see the next Saw movie in theaters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my relationship with Saw was really interesting because um, my first experience with horror, it was actually around the same time I had my first experience with, like, weird movies because my parents were very overprotective mm-hmm. to the point where when I was nine, I always use this as my example I was like nine or ten. I thought that like dragon tails and stuff were like 
teenage shows. I was so sheltered. I was like, <laughs> Mr. Rogers and Barney was all I was allowed for the first like 10 years of my yeah, life. My parents were very protective. And then I went to high school and I was annoyed. And I uh, went to my friend's house and I just immediately said, I was like, show me the scariest movie you have. Ooh. And we watched The Ring, which is pretty scary. Oh, the ring. And then I watched The Exorcist, which was quite a jump. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but those are very different kinds of horror, though. Oh, exactly. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I know for a fact that I can probably show anyone The Ring and they will yeah. be like, this is terrifying. It's with a good the, entry point horror film. Yes. yes, but The Exorcist, you know, it's a, it's over two hours long. The Exorcism takes place in the last twenty minutes of this film, mm-hmm. and it really is more of a drama. Yeah, but it's it is still horrifying. But like, it's I mean, what the equivalent of what A twenty four would have put out in the seventies, basically. It opens and, in yeah, fucking Iraq. Basically. Come on, <laughs> yeah, it opens in, exactly. It's there for so long, but, and but, like. So long. And I've shown someone the extras, and they've been like, "Oh, that's really boring." And yeah. like, I rewatch it as an adult, and I'm like, "This is actually terrifying it's so fucking to me." Terrifying. Yeah, actually, yeah. I think three times on every time, it like the 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 jump scare with the demon face in the mm-hmm. clinic mm-hmm. gets me. Yeah. And like, Saw was interesting specifically because I was introduced to Saw. I'd heard of it. It was like one of those ones that you know people and I. I think it was in middle school. Was it when it came out? I think I remember. Forget what year it was. Like just oh four six oh four. Yeah, I would have been in fourth grade. And jeez. Uh, People were talking about it, but it was kind of like, this is the most disgusting, right. gory movie ever. You've got to see it. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to see that. It's a big jump from uh, Barney and Mr. Rogers to that. Uh, but then I really got into the world of it by, you know, watching YouTube. And it was popping up everywhere because, like, <laughs> famous <laughs> clips would appear. And I remember thinking for the longest time, it was just, oh, it's just, it's just torture porn. It's just torture porn. Yeah. It's literally all it is. But then when you actually sit down and watch them, you're like, oh, they had so much fun. Like, I think that's when people don't understand about the Saw movies, like, like when they don't watch them, is that they're, they're having fun making them, and I think that's, like, such a huge part of what yes, makes horror Yes, oh my fun. god, the, the melodrama, Yeah, it's almost a parody of itself by, like, the third movie, where it's, like, the lengths that he will go to, to... <laughs> craft these like ironic traps where the amount of just... planning that this man oh, has it doesn't done. make any sense i know like <laughs> 10 you, years you, down you, the line he knew your disbelief is suspended like all the way yeah. out the apartment like you're, mm-hmm. you're no, no 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 but i will say that for anyone listening um it doesn't really i, I they are torture porn however you want to define that but sure. i don't really think they get like to where where I would qualify them as torture porn until the third movie. The oh, first yeah, one no, is specifically like not very gory. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, yeah, that was what shocked me as a kid. Is I'd heard this idea of like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just violent. And then I watched the first one. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is like a compelling thriller. Yeah. And by the time you get to the third one, and it, it, the traps are getting like off the rails. You're like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I'm ready for this. Now they kind of so they kind of get you ready for it. <laughs> yeah. They ease you into it really well. Yeah. Um, well, um, Joe, I would love to circle back to my original question yeah. and uh, ask you if you have any examples of media that you watched at a, an impressionable age that either pushed the boundaries of what you'd seen in some way or that you kind of watched as kind of this act of rebellion. Yeah, so folks would have heard a variation of the story when Trace and I guested on uh Windsor Film School so when we talked about Crash I talked about how this was one of my sort of uh seminal coming of age moments because here in Canada we have a very famous channel that kind of showed like foreign films art house films like independent cinema and so on but late at night they would put on sort of riskier fare 
And Ooh. I was always convinced that it was basically pornography. So I would wait for my parents to go to bed and then I'd be like, I'm just staying up to watch this art house film, hoping to see, you know, nudity or sex or something shocking. And this is where I first watched David Cronenberg's Crash because I had heard so many things about it, you know, even in the days before the internet got like super, uh, basically before the days of the internet when the film was first coming out, you still heard about like all the walkouts and how people were saying it was like the most disgusting vulgar film, but it also got a 10 minute standing ovation. So, um, so I was like, okay, I want to see this movie. I've heard so much about it. And my mother, I think was catching on to the fact that I was doing this. So she said, well, you know what? I'm going to step and watch this movie too, because you're saying it's so celebrated. So I watched my very first David Cronenberg <laughs> film, which was Crash with my mother. Um, and she tapped out when James Spader fucks the scar leg, but she basically <laughs> gave me a similar look and was like, you're disgusting. I'm going to bed. I, I, okay, but like that—that's funny to me though because that's pretty late in the film. Mm-hmm. I was thinking she, it would be the same. She when, gave it a good, a good old-fashioned try. Yeah, when he's fucking <laughs> yeah, his yeah. wife, it's almost admirable to have made it so long. Yeah, yeah, like when when he's fucking his wife and she's like, "Did you want to touch his anus with your penis?" Like, come on! Like mm. my mom would have been out. Like, we'll wait for that. But, like, <laughs> my mom would have been out when the word David Cronenberg appeared on the screen. <laughs> right. like, Ooh, I'm, 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 I'm up, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, Ari, I think you bring up an interesting point there just around like how these this media that was like stigmatized or uh, we were told that this wasn't appropriate or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, there's like there's variations of that kind of depending on like what kind of household you mm-hmm. grew up in. Oh, like yeah. I, I grew up in a household where like. Harry Potter was just something that we were allowed to read. Like, that was just, like, a normal fucking, like, my my parents read it, and then I read it, and that was, like, fine. And there's just so many queer kids who grew up in households where that was, you know, it's demonic fucking, Mm -hmm. like, pagan propaganda and the act of reading Harry Potter. And I think that might be part of why the great J.K. Rowling betrayal maybe hasn't hit me as hard as it's hit some people because for me harry potter never was that like special thing for me it was just something i enjoyed it was a novel you read that was fine but for some kids that was like oh this is like like my my household is so that they've created such a oppressive environment that Mm -hmm. this like escape to this magical world Mm -hmm. is such an incredible right. thing for me. Um, and I think it's interesting how that varies from person to person. See, it's interesting because I mean, you're just talking about like, I mean, again, like I, cause when I saw Reefer Madness, I was old enough to like, you know, like, I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch it, but I was allowed to watch it. Like, I wasn't a right. kid. But like the one for me, like when we're talking about like, because um, I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies, but there was every now and then a PG-13 movie that my mom would not let me watch because it was like too sexual or whatever. And the big one for me was actually Batman Returns. Like I was not allowed to watch Batman Returns until I was almost 17 years old because my mom thought it was too weird and the penguin was so gross and it was just, again, just a weird, strange movie, which it is. I mean, it's right on all counts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's my favorite Batman movie and it's also like very queer. So it's like, you know, I think uh, when I finally got to see it, I think, I, I don't think I realized on hand, like what I was watching but something in my brain was like, this mm-hmm. connects with me on a deeper level than just, oh, it's Batman. 
Yeah, and it's so it's such a common thing to look back on the films that our parents and or communities were saying are the weird films you can't watch that right. weren't like as obvious as like, you know, oh, this is a rated R movie you can't watch. And oftentimes you're like, oh, there's something very queer about this movie. Mm-hmm. And how much was that an impact that even the person saying you shouldn't watch it didn't maybe realize in themselves, right? They didn't oh, sure. know that was why. But yeah. like, I think that's again why like Harry Potter horror films a lot of things have had or have large queer audiences it tends to be the things that like for one reason or another people just are confused or scared by and maybe can't always define why and it's almost like you find a family in that like fa- well, I, I found mean, families in the books I read I found R- Rocky in, like, horror oh, right, yeah, is, right. is such the pinnacle example of like that thing where it's like y- you don't even you can't even put your finger on like I don't know like what is it that is so just like erotically charged beyond just the like the performances uh you know uh, 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 like like the but like there it, it, it it's like more than the sum of its parts I would mm-hmm. like I would say like you look at Rocky Horror and I don't think there's that much in Rocky Horror that is like insane but it 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 comes together in this way that just like transports you into this this like realm of of depravity and madness. But I, th- I think um, I think that's why they were talking about weird movies. And again, all these movies we're talking about have very like distinct world bu- worlds that they're building. Oh yeah, yeah. And so again, even going back to Harry Potter, it's like yeah, we want to escape into this world. So maybe that's why these weird movies. I mean, like even going into it as a kid, I was like, what are some weird movies I watch? I pulled out some like fucking Disney Channel original movies where I was like, mm-hmm. these are appropriate, but these are weird. I mean, I, the 13th year is about a kid who turns into a mermaid when he's 13. And you better believe, like, I popped a boner every time we turned into a mermaid, and I didn't know why. <laughs> yeah. well, I love the idea of, I love the idea of weird as a bit of a, like, it's totally apt and yet also a complete misnomer because like what right. the fuck does weird even mean? Oh yeah, exactly. And yet whenever we watch something that's like controversial, uncomfortable, almost always queer, that's what adults in our lives will tell us, particularly if they think we're too young or that they're trying to like protect our modesty or our innocence or whatever. They'll always end up being like, mm, well, it's just, it's a little weird. Like I'm not really oh, sure dude. that you should that's be different. watching this. Yeah. And you're like, so what you're saying is it's queer, it's sexual, it's uh, coloring outside of the norms. It is interesting because it's like, it's a catch-all for I don't want to have to explain myself. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. And sometimes that's just like a parent who doesn't, you know, who doesn't maybe believe in explaining yourself to a child. There's that kind of authoritarian bent that can Mm -hmm. come with that. But then there's also like... I think for some adults, it's like, you don't want to actually, you know, say out loud the thing that you think is objectionable because maybe you know on some level that the thing you think is objectionable is like, oh, this is kind of gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to I mean, say that, but you just have this like, oh, it's weird. It's so it's weird. It just, it's just kind of like, it kind of oogie. It kind of grosses me out. Mm-hmm. And it, and so much of bigotry, of like bigotry, I was just going to say like, kind of comes back down to like you strip away all of the like ration rationality that they try to put on it and some of it so much of it eventually comes down to this like oh i just have this gut feeling of revulsion <laughs> that <laughs> it's i a form of disgust and fear yeah. and it's funny because my parents were very protective but i noticed they transitioned into being cool with me 
uh, seeing violence way before they were cool with me. Oh. Like, cool with me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Always content. violence before sex. It's such a North yeah. American prudish thing, right? It is. And, yes. like, I, I, my perfect example I always give is that I watched Titanic when I was in high school and I had to fast forward the Kate Winslet scene. Yeah. Yeah. But it was totally fine when I saw Propeller Man. Like, that's fine. <laughs> <Iconic>. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and I just remembered, and I don't have a whole story about it because I don't even remember, that the the first weird film that I watched as a kid, I just remember now is I watched Labyrinth. And I remember being, like, fascinated by David Bowie. Like, thinking, mm-hmm. like, this is so fucking cool and I don't know why. And then I never watched it again. And it just popped in my head now for the first time in, like, 15 years. I watched <laughs> Labyrinth. And that was, like, a very impactful film for me as a kid that is see i would call labyrinth a weird movie but like the titanic thing i remember my parents like sitting down and because i was eight and we saw it in theaters when i was eight years old and like i remember my parents having a conversation (laughs) about whether i was okay to go see a movie and see boobs Mm -hmm. and looking back i'm like i mean i don't know how y'all were with your parents like well my family walked around naked all the time so like i had seen my mom and my dad naked a lot um so it was just like what's what's the difference (laughs) Like, why is it going to matter if I see, like, boobs for a second? Then you watch the movie, and you're like, that's not the part that I'm uh, that I'm going home and thinking about. I'm, like, thinking about, as a kid. I'm like, oh, my God. So many it's people the part, It's the part I went home It's the part you about. went home thinking about. <laughs> to be fair. I'm thinking about that poor Irish mother and her child who drowned. As a kid, I know. I was like, let's get to this fucking ship sinking. I wanted to see a disaster. So, oh, to, yeah. me, to me, the boob scene, I was like, this is boring. Like, move on. <laughs> Well, that's because no, exactly. you're also that's... queer, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will say, like, you know, and this is, this is, abs- like, like, my parents were right that I was a pervert and <laughs> that I was going, that these, that these things were extremely, like, impactful mm-hmm. on my impressionable mind. I just would say it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't unhealthy. Right. In any Why is it such a way, bad thing? Exactly. Yeah, it's like and, understanding and, yourself, understanding other people. It's like, why on earth would, you know, and I think it's funny. It's like our parents know we're going to watch Die Hard and not be like, all right, I want to go rush a, an office building now. But they think that the second you see anything sexual at all, that's going to, like, if it awakens something in you, that thing was there. It was already there. Well, and mm-hmm. I will say my parents, my parents are are the weird breed of parents in this kind of climate that we all live in that we're actually far more concerned about violence than sex for me and i would say we're pretty we're pretty good at like showing me like developmentally appropriate sex scenes like when i was ready for them like they they were pretty good at like being like yeah i feel like you're ready for that and it was the, the violence tended to be actually a more a bigger sticking point. I watched all the violent films um, at my house and all the sexy films at your house. That's how. Well, that's, I mean, I, I, that's a very European mindset, but it's also a thing where it's like, all, when it's consensual, mm-hmm. sex is good. Like, not, mm-hmm. just like, not just like feeling good, but like it is a good, positive thing. Right. There's mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. really a time when violence is good, you know? So it's, yeah. I've always been like fascinated by, yeah, that mentality of Americans. <laughs> yes. And it's funny because it does kind of connect back to horror too, which is that, horror is people I think often who don't watch horror think that horror is just a violent genre. That is what it is. It's just a violent genre. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of what really made me fall in love with, I never watched horror because I was like, man, I really can't wait to finally see some violence. It was never what drew me to them. Right. Um, Even when I was a young kid, like who was very sheltered when I watched the ring and the exorcist, 
it was there was something about the themes and the I don't know how they made me feel emotionally woke something and I don't even know how to define it. I'm sure you guys have talked about this a lot before of like the feeling of horror, what it does well, for a person in a positive sense. I mean, in The Exorcist for me, like, I rewatched it. It was a pandemic rewatch for me. Um, mm-hmm. It was a thing I hadn't seen in a couple years because, you know, I mean, it's, I've seen it a bunch. And the horror in The Exorcist to me comes not so much from the exorcism itself, but more so for the fact that this mother is watching her mm-hmm. daughter like deteriorate and have, she can't do anything about it. And I don't like kids. I never want kids. I don't give a shit about kids. But watching this movie, Ellen Burstyn's performance is so good and that you, okay. the horror comes from her helplessness. And that is tricky for some people because they're like, no, 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 where are the scares? And it's like, but sometimes it's not a boo scare. It's just the reality of life. Like if, mm-hmm. if, if this was your significant other and you were watching this happen to them, that would be scary. And it is scary. So horror depends on your empathy. And I feel like yeah. when people don't have that empathy, then they, they, they tend to not find the horror in some horror films. And I think that's why queer, yeah, queer people are drawn to it so much is a lot of time it's that seeking of like empathy in mm-hmm. a weird way that feeling of connection that I definitely got from watching them. Yeah. I think it's also interesting to think about horror as something you can watch with empathy or without because there's a, you know and there there is a lot of very valid criticism of some horror the way that it frames particularly like these like nubile young women mm-hmm. in these ways that you know are designed to make you feel less empathetic toward them and more like you're watching them as, like, this object, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that, like, some for some people, watching horror is always kind of like that, where you're watching it for this kind of just this visceral enjoyment of just... or or of watching, you know, and that's why you want the scares, because it's just about, like... And I don't know. And I think other people approach it with a lot more. You, you know, you're not incorrect. But I mean, look, compare The Exorcist with something like any of the Friday the 13th sequels. And like, really, we're just like, let's take all 80 slashers and lump them into a thing, right? Yeah. How, and I'm not saying this is enough. I enjoy a lot of 80 slashers. I enjoy watching oh, yeah. a bunch of kids get killed in really gory ways. Do I find these films particularly scary? No, because I don't really think no. they're trying to scare. I think they're trying to enjoy, they're trying to thrill, and you're trying they want you to have fun watching them. But like, I don't have fun watching something like The Exorcist, which I do find legitimately scary. So it's kind of an umbrella in horror where it's like, well, not all horror is trying to scare, but that's kind of part of the definition of horror. So what are we doing? And it's kind of like what I think kind of ties back to what Charlie said in the beginning, which is like the weird movies that we grew up watching or like basically like horror is so much what you bring to it and what you grow out of it. Some people love certain types of horror. And I think that because it, I think sometimes of horror less as a genre and almost more in some respects, more like a medium to deliver whatever it is you're trying to deliver Mm -hmm. because some horror is psychological and it's trying to talk about really, you know, obviously all movies have themes, but like Mm -hmm. horror is the biggest umbrella for so many things that I think when a lot of people are trying to find the thing that they're not allowed to look at or the thing that helps them understand themselves better, Mm -hmm. what genre better to start from? Just knowing it is a genre that's going to have something you're not supposed to see than like all of horror. It's like the genre you can't watch as a kid. Um, so most people I've talked to who say like the movies they first watched, it's like, oh, I watched 
this particular scary movie at my friend's house. My parents were super mad afterward. And I feel like there's a lot of similarities in some ways between watching Reefer Madness and watching a horror movie, even though they're very different in that they both... Yeah, it's, par- it's making fun of paranoia. Like, that's what that movie's doing. <laughs> I certainly, like, I don't want to make it all about horror, but that was like 90% of the the movies that I rebelled with. Because other than that, it was like, you know, this, I don't know, South Park. And like, yeah, I, I, I was like, I would watch South Park and be like, oh... I can see why I'm not allowed to watch this, yeah, I it's guess. It's funny, right? Like, you don't have a lot of sleepovers. They're like, oh, the kids are watching Eyes Wide Shut. That's, like, a big movie. <laughs> no, it, it, it is a horror movie. Like, yeah. The, or, I mean, yeah. Or, or, like, a raunchy sex comedy, like American Pie or something. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's an interesting thing to be said about, like, what do we rebel with? And I think for a lot of particularly, like, teenagers and early, like, preteens, uh, the thing that they know their parents are afraid of is violence and sex and horror films mm-hmm. have a tendency to mix those two things <laughs> together. So as a result, it's like, well, what are the things that our parents don't want us to watch the most? Okay. Well, this is one nice little bundle, everything wrapped up in one. Yeah. Yeah. It's my mom used the word twisted was the word she used for things she didn't like. <laughs> she was like, don't watch this movie. It's twisted. And often <laughs> her reason for twisted, my mom cared a lot less than my dad did. And one of the things my mom, my mom hated when violence and sex were combined. So horror right. was, uh, yeah. was particularly, I'm not saying all horror, because most horror isn't that, but that's what every person who doesn't know what horror thinks horror is. Like, oh, it's like half-naked people getting killed by a man with a machete. It's what right. everyone thinks horror is when they just hear But I it. also, here, can, I, can I say one thing, though, like, like yeah. just because th- this conversation, you know, we often end up when we talk about horror, especially people who really love it as a genre, and, and, and find themselves often being defeated Offensive of it in a way like to people who are like oh it's trash mm-hmm. right you yeah. you you want to defend it on the grounds that it it's not you know that's not all movies are like that there's a lot of horror that is you know that is like masterfully filmed or is about you know these really like universal themes or whatever but i also do always want to like resist the impulse to throw out the garbage right. com- like to yeah. just or to call it garbage also or to, yeah. well to say that it that 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 exploitation you know doesn't actually have like mm-hmm. a place in art and it absolutely and, does and oh, it yeah. absolutely does and and the one i always think of right cuz like my first horror movie that i remember watching um or my first my first like movie that i remember watching that was like this is not a movie i think that i would have gotten permission to watch <laughs> um, oh now we're all like "Ooh, what's it gonna be, what is what's it? It gonna be? <laughs> was i was with some friends after a theater rehearsal of course because the corrupting influence of your mm-hmm. theater friends and we put on the remake of the last house on the left uh, better than the original okay. really good movie go. <laughs> and it is it is yeah that it is, is rough, a lot though. better I can't, how old were you when you saw that I mean, I mean, I was like, I think I was in like early high school okay. at this point. Yeah, so it's fine. not it as I was like, like a, I was especially like a middle school. It was 2009. The last 2009. Yeah. Sure. So I, I believe I was 15. Nine, yeah, 15. And, and so like right on this edge of like, you know, my parents aren't really like, I, I don't think they would have stopped me, but mm-hmm. like definitely I'd never seen content like this before. Right. And it was a leap. Thing, it was the first, it was a true leap that well, you had made. And that's movies. rape. Like you're talking about rape in that movie. Like yes. A really yeah. long rape scene. Just an incredibly vivid, yeah. like brutal depiction. And um, 
and it's and I view that as like that is an example of a movie where it that is a that is a movie with a very ugly kind of worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, even right down to the end where even even the revenge part of it like I I think newer like rape revenge movies weirdly have like this like there's a sadism to the revenge that the old older rape revenge movies are more like well you kind of reap what you sow but newer rape revenge movies tend to be like no we're gonna do the most horrific thing we can think of to to you and and I and so it's like it's a brutal ugly worldview it was like you know I mean you could definitely argue Right, like you could see people arguing that there are aspects of it where, like, oh, you didn't need to show mm-hmm. all of this or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this movie, I was someone who at the time was just really um, coming into this like realization that, like, I didn't know I was trans, but uh, I knew something was very wrong with my body, mm-hmm. and I was starting to develop a very pathological relationship to my body and like had started to experiment with like self-harm as a uh, a means to reach catharsis right, to right. to expel mm. this this thing inside of me and this movie with its brutality yeah. with its insistence on showing you like the harsh reality of like when you live in a body mm-hmm. sometimes that body is attacked and brutalized and violated right. beyond like possible measure and then the catharsis of fighting back toward the end gave me this sense of such intense catharsis Mm -hmm. yeah and i had never felt no movie had ever made me feel this bodily sense of just like i was sweating i was like shaking but i came away from it being like I I've transformed in some way. Mm-hmm. I have some understanding of what it means to live inside one of these like flesh prisons that like I'd never had before. Yeah. And I always go to that as like my kind of defense of like, like the lower class horror movie edge, idea. Well, s- stuff that's pushing the edge and that like, yes, like I love like, you know, I love, these sort of softer, more art housey mm-hmm. feeling like horror Dukes. movies right. too. But I also just really, I mean, I I enjoy rape revenge a lot as a genre. I think it's very complicated, but I really <laughs> like it. I like old slasher movies. Like God, I, Halloween. I, I always I always want to put favorite. a forward like a. I always want to make sure that the defense of horror doesn't rest on the need to be like. Because horror is actually more like yeah. these other genres than you think. Because yeah. the things that are uniquely horror are actually also what I love so much. Right. About it. All the people who want to rush to say like, oh, well, uh, you know, at least Jordan Peele's got his his Oscar. So that validates horror. And you're just like, no, we don't need to do that. <laughs> right. like, but we he- can have a shitty graduation day movie and just be like, yeah, this pointless kills and I just like it. Or, yeah, this rape yeah, revenge yeah. movie goes way right. too it's hard. It's okay to just like it, yeah. I think, is my well, point. Yeah, it's okay but, to just fucking like it. But, yeah. that, but that's and try me. I, I mean, like, I'm not, it's not even limited to just rape revenge, but anything that's really, really extreme, you know. So I, I'm never a fan of it's not necessary to show that I hate it when people, especially critics say things like that mm-hmm. like to me that's more I don't need to see that right. not because again if the creator put it in there they put it in there for a reason now granted maybe it is just to shock or maybe it is for some higher purpose or whatever but 
Yeah, I, I, I found, especially with doing this podcast with Joe, where I am really gravitating more towards shocking content, upsetting content, really, really upsetting shit. Yeah, that actually has happened recently with uh with with Shudder. I'm watching Shudder, which has been a huge boon for me in that it's the first time I kind of just have found a bunch of B-horror movies I've never <laughs> heard of before with like some really enticing titillating shocking <laughs> thumbnail and you're like whoa what is going on in that thumbnail what is happening mm-hmm. i want to check it out and, and i watch them and some of them are bad i mean I'm and some to, of them are like, amazing and Joe, i love all like, of them. What, what springs to mind for me is island of death right this is a movie oh, where wow. yeah in the first 15 minutes a man rapes a goat and it's just <laughs> not sure this movie uh, oh it's a live goat on screen mm-hmm. it's not actually raping it but it is simulated to where it looks very very real yeah but this is also a movie that is literally designed just to shock you because the guy was like if i shock you enough people will talk about it and i'll get more money out of it mm-hmm. now wow you can say I there's mean, no artistic value in that but i'm also kind of like but it's a business decision right. <laughs> like it did it work i mean we saw it it, it exists the movie's there um, yeah, i mean it's got an arrow blu-ray and it's a uh, video nasty so it's it's infamous <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the thing about like horror in general too is like like you said Charlie there is this idea of like the artistic intent has to be very specific for people to be willing to check something out mm-hmm. oftentimes it is it's making a statement about society that tends to be or about human interaction or like a oh like they slash them I haven't seen they slash them yet uh, but I know a lot of people were like saying like oh they slash them finally we have a queer horror movie and I'm like Finally, we have a queer horror movie just because people were like, I can see that it's a queer horror movie because the title is they slash them. Right. Which, like, is really, which is really funny, though, because a lot of queer people really hate that movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. I heard very mixed responses to it. Yes. And it's like there is this idea of like authorial intent is what allows horror to but, rise above uh, what it could have been. Right. The, but the thing is, hey, so look. Where we are today, we, we have access to filmmakers. So we can get intent because we filmmakers have the option to be like, hey, I'm on Twitter. This is what I was doing with this. Yeah. We didn't have that before. And so I, I agree. Like, I think intent does matter. But also with art, it's the art should speak for itself. And the yeah. intent should kind of be. I mean, we talk about this all the time on the podcast, Joe, especially because when we talk about really upsetting things mm-hmm. and. I don't know. It's, I just find it interesting because, like, if you're going to see a movie in the 70s, you don't have the luxury, air quotes, of going to Twitter and seeing what the filmmaker is, like, talking yeah. about their film. <laughs> well, it's also, like, it's also, like, what, like, like the idea that, you know, of, like, a sort of uh, a, a business over art decision yeah, sure. is a new no and b <laughs> and b like would somehow make it like make the value right. less I, I mean you think like charles fucking dickens writing his like you <laughs> know, word, expectations for the word yeah <laughs> for the, right, exactly like like you know we're we're we he, we know that this dude was not like sitting around being just like just gravity just is the about soul the of wit <laughs> right, yeah. oh this is so good um, my art this is art <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. He was probably proud of it, but at the same time, yeah, like, it was his fucking livelihood. He needed to make money. I was in a production of, you know, Merry Wives of Windsor, which is just, like, the, the, which is just, like, the queen wanted more Falstaff, so he just wrote this, like, kind of garbage comedy, but it's still Shakespeare, (laughs) so it's still great, like, from that perspective. Yeah. I I don't know. So I I agree that, like, I, I think, I think that, like, the intent thing comes more into play when we specifically talk about when is it appropriate right. to like right. do try to boy 
Right, or try like you know when when do we want to stop putting money into someone's pocket? Sure, who's exactly. like a, a living uh, author mm. or whatever. Like I think that like there's conversations around like that yeah. that are that can be had. I mean, my my entire identity as a as a trans woman has and as a person was basically formulated around Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm, nice and 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 like you know, it's not. There is a lot of shit in there that I'm projecting yeah. that the writers were not like this is a ver- this is going to be a trans yeah. or a queer mm-hmm. like theme that we're intentionally putting. Yeah, in watching there. that before and after coming out as non-binary was a very different experience for me. Yeah, <laughs> but I still picked up on it. I didn't need Joss Whedon or Marty Noxon to right. be explicitly trying to write for a trans perspective mm-hmm. for my trans ass to read into it <laughs> right. anyway. And yeah. maybe that's kind of a great way to like bring everything back together is to say that like a lot of the, again, weird movies that we grew up watching most of the time, the things that we drew for them weren't, we weren't like going on Wikipedia and being like, okay, which movie was made with this intention that I will like? We just saw the movie and we drew what we drew from it. And even if the author had no idea that was in there, the whole idea of death of the author, the author doesn't necessarily know at all what, like, what you're going to read from it. Mm-hmm. What you read is what's important. But the that's end. the key, though. I mean, we'll post something all the time and with a reading of a film, especially if it's a queer reading, and people fight back and it's like, hey, no reading of a film is invalid. If you can find textual yeah. evidence to support your cause, which again is going back to fucking middle school when you're writing papers on books, like it's valid. It's all valid. And therefore the author's intent doesn't matter. The author could have been trying to like, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Save the world. <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, what you glean from it, because it's all from your own life experiences and your yeah. own, like, like what you bring into it, as you said mm-hmm. before. Um, which again is what makes film discussion and criticism and analysis so fun. Right. Which is why I hate it when people fight about it. It's like, no, don't fight. Let's discuss. Like, like, it's why I hate the phrase the curtains are fucking blue. It's like, they don't have to be blue. I, what if I think there's something interesting about the fact that they're blue? I don't care if the author just put them they were blue. Yeah. Like, also, I, as like, a, you know, as a writer, like, I'll, I will also say that like, like sometimes the author did think about the blue curtains you know it's like you don't know all necessarily but yeah the meme of like the meme of like we're reading too much into art i'm like okay well then i guess let's all go die yeah because stop making art art's over it's over we're just done okay (laughs) (laughs) you win there is this the thing that people need to stop having when it comes to all genres of movies especially like what a kid will draw from a movie they watch as they grow up is that there is no way to watch a certain movie there's no. no one reading to any movie mm-hmm. of any genre even the most clear-cut movie there's someone out there who has their own very unique reading of that film oh fantastic. and like yeah and that's the part of film that's fun is the fact that like you and someone else will sit and watch this movie like sure you can like watch a movie and be like this plot was really good i like this character moment that's cool but like the moment you sit with someone and you both have a very different reading of the movie yeah. is like the most fun part it's of watching so the film. fun it can be so fun but it's also like you're saying about people being protective you know what i mean i'll bring it oh, back yeah. to fucking batman returns when we <laughs> yep like no because like when we wrote about how it's a queer and oh, but people man. hold batman so close to their heart and it's like if you read catwoman and the penguin as queer villains in that movie they're like no you're wrong it's like no no no, we're not wrong and we're not taking away your straight reading of these characters <laughs> like we're not taking anything away it's just adding another reading to the pile of readings <laughs> that exist no, there's readings yes. for for batman returns there are infinite readings oh, and we are just yeah. one among many um 
I watched this video recently that was very cool about how when we watch things as a young person, um, we don't have the words to explain why something makes us feel a certain way. We don't mm -hmm. know what themes are. We just know that it made us feel something. Mm -hmm. Maybe it explored some kind of darkness or some kind of feeling that we've never had anyone tell us. And you know as a kid when it hit you, you just don't know why. And then later you figure out why. And that's what's right. cool, I think, about the first weird film you've ever seen. It was a moment you realized something was right. something was there that no one saw in you, even right. you. Yeah, it unlocked something in you, right? Oh, yeah. Well, awesome. Um, I think we're, we're about to uh, wrap this up. Um, not that I don't want to talk for m many more hours, but... <laughs> but time... Um, that was really convincing. I uh, well, no, actually, actually, truthfully, I do. I, I have a, uh, I, you know, cause it's, uh, unfortunately it's... my friends, I have a, uh, prior engagement. my phone, my phone is ringing. I will, uh, <laughs> oh, I, um, I have to take this call right now. I, I would love to just end this with, um, Trace and Joe, if either of you have just any other, pieces of media that you thought about during this conversation or during the week leading up to this that you want to just throw out there is just like fun weird maybe obscure or just like stuff that like just like if people are listening to this and they happen to be like oh i'm i want to create like a little watch to watch list anything that you want to throw out there uh and i i will also be taking notes so Anything you didn't get to mention. Joe, do you have one on hand? I I, I have two, so <laughs> I also have two. Okay. Well, here, awesome. Do one do one, I'll do one, then you go and then I'll go. Okay. So one of the ones that I was thinking of was uh my sister and I were very much into like make time soaps. Um my mom used to watch like Dallas and all that kind of stuff and then there was a revival in the 90s when Darren Starr was doing all of his stuff so we were watching like Mobar's Place but also the really bad shit like Models Inc and uh, Central Park West and that kind of stuff but there was a vampire evening soap called Kindred the Embraced and it was a one season wonder but it was very much like a soap meets a supernatural plotline like it was all vampires and a vampire hierarchy and society and that kind of stuff and it's trashy but fun and it if you're like a burgeoning teen queer it's one of those things where you're like are vampires sexy or is it just like <laughs> all genders are sexy i'm confused <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, my first one is, uh, it's, y'all are gonna laugh, because basically this is the screening that I did with my family, uh, and my, is my grandmother, my parents, and my sister, every single one of them hated it, um, I have never lived down showing my family this movie, to the point where my grandmother, before she died, like, she would always be like, what was that, um, the sunbot thing, it was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. <laughs> Like That's a fucking great. classic. A it's a fantastic yeah. movie. It is a weird movie, though. I mean, the narratively speaking, but oh my god, to this day, my parents, like, whenever I put on a movie, they're like, "You're not going to show us that Sunspot movie, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> so they just what? They just didn't get it. They, they didn't just get were it. Like... They did not get the, the tragedy and the catharsis and the pathos everything sometimes that i is feel the... like people willfully just don't get stuff. it's complicated like i don't like, want to do the being work obtuse on per yeah exactly that's uh, when tracy so yeah, like I, I, no i've got a new film for you it's called adaptation 
Oh my god. Oh. And my parents like, Eternal Sunshine is the most accessible Kaufman movie like I feel. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And no one in my family got it. I mean my, uh, my grandmother was like in her like almost in her 80s and the poor woman was just so confused <laughs> throughout the entire Now thing. like my mother with Cronenberg, your family will see the name Kaufman and we'll just stand up and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing that again. Okay, Joe, what's your next one? Okay, so my other one was how I kind of like randomly ended up developing a mild fixation on anime because uh, when I first watched Ninja Scroll was when I basically had the realization that because it was animated did not mean that it was for children. So this is a movie that uh, it's really about like myths and legends. There's a, a quest but like there's also a woman who gets fingered by like a tentacle monster and i was like well, not prepared for it <laughs> but it did it is the movie that led me to things like uh, studio ghibli and princess mononoke oh, yeah. and perfect blue and that kind of stuff so in a way this really fucking shocking rapey anime was like my gateway into other types of anime well, anime has a lot of crossover with horror in that yes. there are stereotypes yeah. of, horror, of anime, of horror, mm-hmm. and like both of them are like again, I, again, I almost refer to it as mediums rather than a genre. Like, just, yeah. it, what is a horror movie? What is anime? It could be, it could be so many, things. so many yeah. different like, things. Genre umbrella—that's mm-hmm. what we call it. Yes. Um, my last one is one that uh, Joe has heard me talk about a million times, uh, and I made him watch it for our podcast. But oh, this yeah. would be, uh, it could be Matthew... one of the eight things. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, it's Matthew Bright's <laughs> Freeway, um, a movie starring Reese Witherspoon and Keeper Sutherland. Have y'all heard of this movie? No. Okay. Have, no. So uh, do me a favor when you Google the, the when you Google it later, um, look at the cover because it looks like a bad Fast and the Furious movie. But what it yes. is <laughs> is a it is a remake of Little Red Riding Hood, and it's Reese with this one in a very early role. She plays a trailer park uh, daughter of a meth-headed sex worker, uh, played by oh god, uh, she's for, she's Honey Bunny in Pulp Fiction. But um, basically, she her mom gets taken away, and she's gonna go into the foster care system. So she's like, ooh, I'm gonna run away to grandma's and live with grandma. And along the way, she's picked up by Kiefer Sutherland, who is Bob Wolverton, who is the Big Bad Wolf, and he is a serial killer, rapist, pedophile man. Mm-hmm. It is an exploitation film, black comedy, horror film, prison movie, revenge film. (laughs) Uh, Brittany Murphy's in it. Brooke Shields is in it. Uh, It's got a wild cast for the mid-90s. And it is, I find it deeply hilarious, but not everyone will. (laughs) I find it deeply uncomfortable because even when Trace tried to prepare me for it, I was like, this movie's trying to do a lot of things, but it's so offensive. Like, there's yeah. a whole tirade where she just starts using the N-word against somebody, and I was like, I'm not ready for this right yeah. now. It, it, it's Yeah, it's not it's not one I would just show people. Be like, hey, let's watch Freeway. But it did just hit Shudder. <laughs> Actually, that was the one I showed my grandma, and she understood that one just fine. It was only the confidence that confused her. She I was mean, like, I relate to grandma in this movie. It, it, it is... <laughs> It is, it is an upsetting movie, but it is yeah. it is it does have a humor sense of it. It is trying to be funny in some aspects. Yes. Oh, yeah. But it is also, like, I mean, possibly, in my opinion, Reese Witherspoon's absolute best performance. It is fearless, and it is flawless. Uh, so if you can stomach it, watch Freeway. <laughs> Get a lot of good conversation out of it. I will say that yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, um, awesome. Thank you both 
so 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 i'm much. very happy that i haven't heard of any of those i was oh, like wow. oh, okay. <laughs> like that excites me i'm like all right okay all right i'll list <laughs> yeah. i love how before this car i was gonna I, like before it was recommendation i'm like oh maybe i'll uh, recommend hell house llc that's a fun movie and i'm like <laughs> that is love a fun that movie, movie but hell house llc is fan right that's one where if someone asks for a scary movie Ooh, i'm like yeah, that's, that's one like that yeah is a scary it scared movie. the hell out of me i watched it recently and i was like for some reason it really the clown got me in a way that oh, i don't yeah. know why yeah. i don't know why it got me so bad so Super but uh, Charlie, I guess we'll have to do a movie night where we watch uh, we watch these films and come away changed people. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm very excited. But yeah, Add thank you both so much. Endless movie list of movies we've said we were going to show each other. This, we, we, this is why you do a this podcast. A, we <laughs> should do a movie podcast. Yeah, obviously. It's a good <laughs> way to check things it. off a list for sure. Yeah. Very much so. All right. Um, thank you both so much uh thank we you. appreciate your generosity oh, with your time with your energy and um i i truly have just loved listening to your podcast and i feel like it absolutely captures what i like the kind of vibes that ari and i have when we talk about media which is just like it's so much just fun to pick these things apart and to figure out what what we like about them and uh, so yes, if anyone, if by some miracle someone listening to this episode is listening to our show but hasn't heard of horror queers, um, check it out. You will definitely uh, find a crossover of sensibilities. You will really, really like it. It's great, and they have um, so many ep- episodes that are. Where are you going with this? That are. <laughs> It does, but it has so I mean, a great selection. But also, movies. so many movies that I, so many movies I've never heard of. I was uh, like, oh, it's gonna have like Poltergeist, and I was like, oh wow, so many of these are new to me. And it like it became like a watch list. It's like okay, I'm gonna go check these out now later, and then listen to the podcast afterward. Like yeah, definitely check it out. It's uh, you know, people will say, oh, there's a lot of movie like movie talk podcasts. This one's very unique, and it's the only one that uh, I also kind of got bingy on um it's very very good (laughs) it's very very good so yeah thank you both so much for coming in uh coming here tonight yes we've recorded this one in the evening it's a change from our regular i don't know why i'm telling they don't care um (laughs) (laughs) the curtain the blue curtain uh but thank you all so much it was it was a treat Oh, absolutely. And uh stay tuned because now after uh Joe and Trace head out um we're going to move into the improv portion of the show <laughs> where we'll do a we'll play a little improv game where we uh we're we're going to brainstorm an absurd horror movie. Nice. All right. Ari, so now that it's just you and me again. Now that the other two have been locked in the basement in a series of horrible traps because anyone we bring into our podcast gets locked down the saw basement. Yeah, it'll be a little while before Joe and Trace escape from the gender-affirming saw room. I mean, it's it's interesting. We keep getting guests, and they keep disappearing, and no one's noticed yet. Yeah, they never make it out. That's the there problem. There will be no trace of Joe. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I'm sure he's never had that before. That was a blast. So what is our game for today? What are we doing? This is more of like an improv game, like a warm-up game, but we want to keep this short. So I figured this would be a fun thing for us to do today, which is just I think we are 
two TV executives and were just trying to come up with the next hit horror film. I am 100% on board with this. Okay, I just think that for our movie to be relevant for today's youth, we need it to talk about relevant social topics. You know, I just don't think horror has enough social relevancy. I don't think we've seen enough horror movies that are, like, transparently about some kind of social... Every single horror movie I've ever seen has been just like, this is a monster, it is a literal monster, it represents nothing, it's gonna kill some people, the end. Where's the message? It's like the Babadook, right? I mean, fun monster... But, like... It follows? I mean, yeah, I guess the monster does follow you. Cool. Yeah, okay, so what? I read the title and I got exactly what the movie was? All right, yeah, I mean, no twist, Get out? Get out? I mean, okay, yeah. Yeah, locked in a house, I'd want to get out, too. Uh, (laughs) A cult that brainwashes you. Like, oh, very... Where is the message? So I've been... I've been thinking about this. You know, I think we need to figure out who our mark is, right? Who is it who's going to watch this film and go, this movie is for me. Well, we really need to make sure we're appealing to middle America. I feel like middle America has been forgotten in the modern era. I agree. I agree. We want to make sure that over we... states more like the d- die for states. <laughs> so the enemy in this movie Well, I think the enemy is extremism on both sides. Ah, an equal opportunity offender. Maybe a a, a grotesque monster. Uh, the the grand elephant and the humble donkey come together in a monster swathed in red and blue to represent the totally equal extremism on both sides. We're going to film it in Ohio on location, so it'll be mostly white extras, just, you know. We'll fly in a couple people from, like, California to make sure it really feels fair. And I think, what are they targeting, though? What they're really targeting, I think, is reasonable, logical people. People who just want to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like we we cut to a Starbucks, you know? <laughs> Where... <laughs> a Starbucks, my favorite coffee Brilliant. shop. Has there ever been a horror scene in a coffee Look, shop? Showing, showing the way that, that these extremists, the way they disrupt civic life for <laughs> two regular guys who are just trying to enjoy a cup of joe we represent both sides of the aisle you know both oh, both oh, political whoa, whoa, parties whoa, 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 whoa. wait say that again we represent both sides of the aisle both si- the movie takes place in a grocery store yes there's a starbucks in the grocery store because you know you've, you've seen grocery stores like they have like, the starbucks but literally literally there's an aisle and these two are fighting, and we're seeing... Yes, a Bill Clinton supporter and a John McCain supporter come are... together. They link hands because they yeah. are, in the end, the same. Have, all. have you ever seen Have you ever seen The Mist? Ah, I, I don't watch Stephen King movies. He's too woke. Too woke. You know, I really thought so, too, but sometimes sometimes when I read him or read his Twitter, I'm like, is he? But then I'm like, no, he is, I think, overall too woke for me. But, but sometimes I'm like, he says exactly what I want to hear. But sometimes it's like, I don't know, he's he's confusing. But anyway, I accidentally, I listen, I accidentally saw 
I accidentally saw the mist. You accidentally um, saw that. That's I mean, Saw is a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, except for the sixth one. The sixth Saw movie inexplicably seemed to be taking some very cheap pot shots at the insurance agency. And as you know, before I was a TV executive, well, my father worked in insurance. Before I was a TV executive, my father worked in insurance. Then I became a TV executive and, of course, hired him to our company. They're making a new Saw movie, though. With It's about uh, gender-affirming traps. It's just... But yeah, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. What, 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 what I was saying about the mist. What I was saying about the mist. Yeah, I missed that one. <laughs> See what I did there? This is why I'm. This is why I'm in the game. Uh, <laughs> Basic wordplay. I mean, that's why you're the writer. You know, I'm. I'm more of like the ideas guy. You're the ideas you're, guy. You're the. I mean, you're the writer. I mean, I don't actually like the phrase writer. I like the, I like the phrase centerer. Yes, 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 yes. Well, right. writer, writer, in the sense that you are correct in all of your opinions. Ah, corrector. Yes, you're, you're the one. I mean, you're the one who is obsessed with Joseph Campbell. All of uh, everything about Joseph Campbell, you're obsessed. He with. finished. We, story's already done. He did it. Yeah, every myth, every myth in the world, no matter what culture, he was able to boil it down into one diagram. I would actually and, say he was the first storyteller. Yeah, yeah, just he really was. He invented he really stories. So, based on so, we have these two. Bruce Willis absolutely plays the the Clinton supporter. I mean, it has to be. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And and he'd be perfect because of the way he's so checked out of his movies these days. Like he'll definitely keep things very. Uh, you can't be in a grocery store and, and not check out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> He'll really be a good – he'll do a great job at the checkout scenes. We're I, not going to have to train Bruce Willis at all when wait, he's checking out, and that's important. I have another idea. Okay, yeah, that's fine. We don't have to develop this one. No, it is this idea, but it's, it's oh. a better ver- – what if instead of having it be these supporters, what if it is the two presidents? Clinton and McCain. They are in this grocery store. It's a, it's a period oh, story. It's the day that, that the country went wrong. We have these what two men happened? in a grocery store – they're they're shopping together. They're having a great time, and then this this grocery store is then besieged. And it's like, wow, extremism attacking our middle America grocery here's, store. Here's the brilliant part: these two men, they're fighting, and they have very different fighting styles, right? Like one of them fights. John like, McCain fights like a gentleman. You know, he's like he has like a fencing sword, and he's and then Bill Clinton, he fights a bit mostly the same way, but he's a little bit more of a pussy about it. <laughs> And then, of course, McCain gets captured, and he's tortured, and it's a very tastefully done homage to the real John McCain's experiences as oh a prisoner God. of war. Wow! Which we love. It's super pro-military, of course. This movie, super pro-military. I mean, at the end, the military. the military. At the end, the two men grab the red phone that, like, you know, kind of represents like the president's desk, and they both call the military, and it blows um, up. Uh, Jerry, Jerry. Oh, um, sorry. One second, Steve. What is it, Dad? Um, I got the coffee that you asked for. Um, they didn't have oat milk, so I told them macadamia milk would be fine. Um, oh, so you spoke on my behalf, Dad? And you just, you just made that decision? Um... I wasn't. I didn't think of it as a decision on, on on your behalf as much as I was trying to make your life a little bit easier by not bothering you in the middle of your important meeting. No, Dad, you were trying to save you an extra trip 
Admit it. <laughs> Man, I'm glad my dad's dead. <laughs> hey, sorry about that. Um, Ugh. I just I set up the fact that my dad worked for my company earlier and had to pay it I off. Just, I had to pay it off. Despite me with... barreling over your attempt to build up part of your life. <laughs> With like a saw joke, I think it was. I did finally name us though. What what do we got? Um, well you're Steve and I'm Jerry. Yes, 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 that's right. But yeah, I think this is a great movie. <laughs> Isle of Man, but Isle spelled like a grocery store aisle. That's good. I like Isle of Man. Let's let's spitball a couple ideas. What about no right men left? God damn it. God damn it. This is why you're the ideas guy. I mean, I am, I am, I am the ideas guy, but I could never, I could never take my ideas and transpose them through just the most flattening, racist, overly simplistic <laughs> story structure of all time the way that you do. All I do is I just have, I just have the Campbell archetype poster on my wall and I just copy it down and change the names. <laughs> it's it's more mad libs than writing what you do. Yeah, you know, those libs are mad. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, it was there in front of our faces all along. Mad libs was calling them out before it was even, wow. before it was cool. But of course it's not really cool now because, you know, the woke. Mob? Of course a mob! A mob, this movie has to end with a mob. What if the people in the grocery store are convinced by the extremist monsters to like fight each other instead of the monsters? And then we see the way that they fight each other allows the monsters to like get away with it. But at the end, McCain and Clinton's dead will go, can we all just get along and and the monsters turn to dust. And we look from John McCain to Bill Clinton, from Bill Clinton back to John McCain, and we can no longer tell which is which. But we have to set up a sequel. How, who, who is the, the hidden villain who will come back to rise? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we know who the hidden villain is. I think we know. We, I we, think pan, we... we pan to the bathroom, and the gender sign falls off. <laughs> yes! Confusion! <laughs> Because if there's one thing that we can all agree on, is that we all hate the transgender people. I have something to admit to you. What is it, Steve? I've been feeling a little torn about, I don't know, I, I think I might be a woman. You're, you accept me, right? I, We're friends. Of course, you accept me. Yeah, well, and listen, I'm a centrist. Just remember that. I am absolutely a centrist. I position myself always as someone who stays relatively in the middle, doesn't adhere to one side or another. At the same time, I think people like you should be put to death, frankly. <gasps> and, <laughs> and I am- You were the I have true been, monster the whole time. I've never been more disgusted. A what, me, a monster? I'm not a monster. I have your coffee. Ah! This is the wrong coffee, Dad! Uses the uses the webcam to hit the dad so you can see the camera hitting the person, so it's almost like you, the viewer, complicit in the murder. <laughs> you, listeners, you've been you've been part of the story all along. 
And and let's just say you're about to meet with the goddess, baby. Oh. That's right. That's right. Psych. Psych. We were trans the whole time. That was all irony. Jesus Christ. Yep. All right. Oh, yeah. No, that Jesus Christ is definitely at the end going to come down and, and save everybody. Oh, yeah. No. We're that's, both, that's the finale. Listen. Listen. We're, listen, Steve. We're both radical. Actually, I call it. It's actually, Stella, it's actually Stella now. Stella! I hate that name. Stella! I'm so <laughs> mad. I have to shout about it. <laughs> Fun fact she died the next day. Paid <laughs> a horrible. Actually, your guy is the guy we see at the beginning. He wakes up in the saw trap. Wow. That's why when he had an opportunity to see the truth, he like mutilated himself instead. He's a combat really I was thinking like so Jerry, right? Like he's a combination of Jerry Falwell, Jerry Seinfeld, and Jerry the <laughs> the mouse from Tom and Jerry. The shitty, the shitty, stupid little mouse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ari, thank you so much for being here. Um, I wanna also thank Joe and Trace one more time for coming on our show. Uh Please, if you are a fan of horror, if you were a fan of them, or if you are a fan of just supporting queer content creators, uh, their podcast, Horror Queers, has become one of my favorite film podcasts. You, y'all, if you've been listening, know that I'm obsessed with Buffy, and they have a really great episode that dives into the Buffy musical episode, which I listened to recently. Check them out. The links to all that will be in the episode description. All right, y'all. Remember, when the moon is full, all Hallows' Eve, 4 a.m. in the morning, lightning strikes. Unlock all your doors, sleep on your belly with no covers, and everything will turn out just fine. Game over. <laughs> yes androgyny was conceived recorded and produced by ari noble and myself charlie monroe if you want more content or you care to support the show we can be found at patreon.com slash yes androgyny where we will be posting an extra episode of bonus content plus other fun surprises at least every off week. This show is co-produced by New 32 Productions, an independent North Carolina media company that Ari and I are both heavily involved with. You can find New 32 on YouTube at youtube.com slash new32, that's N-E-W-3-2. Our music was composed by Florify, F-L-O-R-R-I-F-Y, whose link tree can be found in the episode description. Our theme song is Riff in A by Garrett stein Sarusi, who plays the guitar on the track, with additional arrangement, instrumentation, and mastering also by Florify. Our cover art is by the inimitable Izzy Pereira, who can be found on Twitter at Izzy Squeaksy. That is I-Z-Z-Y-S-Q-U-E-A-K-Z-Y. Lastly, but not leastly, Ari can be found on Twitter at Ari Noble Writes where they post about their myriad music and webcomic writing projects, including their epic fantasy adventure webcomic in the vein of Redwall. They co-created it with our cover artist Izzy, and it is posted weekly. So definitely check that out. It's super rad. Thank you guys so much for listening. 
That concludes the credits. See you in two weeks or sooner if you join our Patreon. Bye!